If you have your copy of God's Word, take, take it and turn with me to Matthew, not Matthew, Psalm chapter 25, Psalm chapter 25, the 25th Psalm. This is a Psalm of David. David, for many of us, is a biblical character who confronts us, challenges us, and cautions us, cautions us with his life and words. Because David was human, just like you and I, and David was pretty good at messing up his own life. Any mistake you think you've made, David made it, and made it worse and more grand than you could ever dream of. Some of David's decisions he made in his life resulted in the death of people he loved, One particular time when David was filled with pride and arrogance, he uh, made a decision that resulted in God's judgment upon Israel. It cost the lives of 70,000 people. 70,000 people because of one act of arrogance and pride. Now, I've made a lot of big mistakes in my life, but I've never made one like that. Never made one like that. So David's a person we all find witness to. We bear witness with his spirit. We, he seems like the kind of guy we can understand and get our, our brain around. Now here in the Psalms, we have what David felt about the messes he got himself into. And we have the words that he sought the Lord with when he realized that he was in over his head. Now today is Easter, and we're celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I want to give you today three prayers to pray, three Easter prayers. I think maybe you'll take these things home with you and put them to good use. Let's look at Psalm 25, and I'll read it, and you guys follow along if you can in your copy of God's Word or on your tablet (laughs) or on your phone, whatever you're doing. Verse 1, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul, in you I trust, O my God. Do not let me be put to shame, nor let mine enemies triumph over me. No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. But they will be put to shame who are treacherous without excuse. Show me your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Guide me in your truth. Teach me, for you are my God, my Savior. And my hope is in you all day long. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. For they are from of old. Remember, remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you are good, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. All the ways of the Lord are loving and faithful for those who keep the demands of his covenant. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. Who then is the man that fears the Lord? He will instruct him in the way chosen for him. He will spend his days in prosperity and his descendants will inherit the land. The Lord confides in those who fear him. He makes his covenant known to them. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for, he, for only he will release my feet from the snare. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress. Take away all my sins. See how my enemies have increased and how fiercely they hate me. Guard my life and rescue me, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness protect me, because my hope is in you. 
Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Now let's have a short prayer together, and I'll give you this sermon. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would bless these words of Scripture to the hearts of these people. I've given the reading of the greatest thing in the world, Scripture. And Lord, I'm going to try to preach my way through it, and I pray that you would help me, that you would guide my lips. I pray most of all for the help of the Holy Spirit. In the words of a departed Christian brother, I claim the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Three Easter prayers, and I've divided it into three prayers to the week, and <laughs> I had to double check. Last week, I had six points up there, five points down here, and seven points somewhere else. <laughs> but today, definitely just three. Three Easter prayers. In verses one to three, David, our friend and brother, our example in the faith, he is a man who is desperate. He's a man who needs help. He cries out to God, please help me. Notice the words in verse number one. To you, O Lord, I lift up not my words, not my song, not my eyes, but I lift up to you my very soul from the deepest recesses of his humanity. He cries out from his soul. His heart is wrenching. His heart is crying out, Lord, I need help. Now, we've all been in this situation, I think. You've been at the house, maybe, and your husband or wife are in the kitchen doing something, and they say, can you help me? And depending on the tone, it determines how quickly you get in there, right? Valerie oftentimes asks me to do something, and I'm always doing something very important. (laughs) I can't just be pulled away for anything. And so she'll make, the tone of her voice will be a request. And I'll say, coming, or okay. But I don't move. But I don't move. Sometimes she'll use the tone of voice that tells it's, a, it's an imperative. Terry, come here. And that's when I really don't go. <laughs> I am not going to be commanded around by you, you know. But then there's that call from the kitchen that doesn't even have my name. Sometimes it's, oh, ah. She's been in there working in this kitchen and cut her finger with a knife. And man, I can hear from the tone of her voice that something different is going on. Something deep has taken place. She's wounded. And I leap in there like Superman with my superpower to stop the bleeding with my massive crush. (laughs) Something deep has been activated. And the cry of her heart moves me in a deep and powerful way. I respond to her. This is the kind of cry David is uttering. It's a cry from his soul, from his deepest, innermost man. He is desperate. Oh, Lord, I lift up my soul unto you. He is desperate for help. He cries out to God and says, I need your aid. Do not let me be put to shame. Do not let my enemies triumph over me. Lord, my enemies, they're climbing up high, and I'm I'm under the gun here. I really need some help. So he calls out to God and says, I am looking to you because only you can stop them. Only you have the power to do this. And let's think about what causes these situations to come up. Sometimes God lets the bad guys in your life win to force you to turn your eyes back to him. Sometimes hard times come. A part of God's gentle oversight 
and providential care of his people, he lets bad times come to drive us to our knees, to force us to the place where the only way we can look is up to him. You can read this all through the Psalms. Most particularly, you can read Psalms 88, which always blows my mind every time I read it. Take it and read it sometime at your leisure. God brings these things to us, brings difficult times to us to cause us to look to him. If you're here today and you're having bad times, your life is going sideways, I want you to know this is all part of God's plan. And he wants you to look up to him. He wants you to turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his lovely face and the things of this world will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Maybe today you are having a crisis of faith and you aren't sure that God is even there anymore and your life has become so tumultuous and it looks like you're all alone and you wonder, does anybody even care? Does God care? I tell you, God does care. And he's brought these uncertain times to your life to cause you to seek after him. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Look after him. Look for him. Search for help. My friends, if you're on the way home today, now you guys, you all you, you guys who are mechanically inclined, you know how this works. If you're driving home today and your car starts making some funky noise, what are you going to do? If you're like me, you might call your dad. Well, if you're like me and you're mad at your dad, you won't call him. <laughs> You'll get on Google and type in, what does it mean when my car makes this noise? Or get on YouTube and figure out the problem. And you'll, and you'll hunt and search the recesses of the internet. You'll try to do everything possible you can to fix it before you take it to a mechanic because you don't want to pony up the cash. You'll do everything you can. But finally, when there's nowhere else to turn, you'll turn to the mechanic. Turn to God. Turn to Him. Look to Him. And where you need to look for Him... It's not in the stars, not in the moon. I don't even think God's in Michigan. (laughs) But I know where he is. He can be found in Scripture. If you are serious about finding out the solution to a problem, you'll hunt all over Google. You'll make your way through at least half of those one billion results that pop up, looking for the answer. But God can be found in Scripture. I challenge you, take up the Holy Word of God and say, I'm going to find out something about God. Go to Scripture with this prayer on your lips. Lord, show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me. Give me a beacon of hope. Give me a ray of light. The Scripture says that He is sought. He is found of those who seek after Him. He can be found. He's not far from you. Although he may feel far away, he is not that far away from you. But in order to receive this help from him, you have to be humbled. You have to be brought low. Something has to happen to cause you to cry out to him. You may may be in a situation and you're looking at your life and you're having to eat the bitter consequences of bad decisions. You ever have to eat crow? You guys say that in Michigan, eat crow? Crow is best eaten quickly. (laughs) You've come to a situation in your life and you feel like, okay, this, this bad stuff I've done is why I'm suffering. Will God, will God have anything to do with me in spite of my suffering? In spite of my 
bad decisions. I've pushed him away so many times. I've told him to take a hike. I've abandoned him. Will he take me? Yes, he will. Look to him. God knows what you are. And that great passage is there. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8. But God has demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is demonstrated for sinners. If you will put your trust in him, when you cry to him, it's a declaration of trust. If you will put your trust in him, you will not be ashamed that you have put your trust in God. Now, it is true that people may laugh at you, mock you, or maybe even hurt you because you are trying to serve the Lord, trying to be a Christian. And that may be the way it is for your whole life long. But my friends, in that final glorious day, there's going to be a final division. I want all of you to think about this carefully. There's going to come a day of final division where all the saved will be gathered to the right hand of God and they'll be destined for eternal rest in heaven. And all those who have rejected Christ and his gospel will be gathered to the left and they'll all be cast into a place of eternal, unending torment, a place called hell. Everybody goes to heaven. Everybody who goes to heaven goes there because they put their faith in Jesus. Because they realized they were a sinner. And they called upon the Savior to cleanse and wash their sins. Everybody who goes to hell goes there because they refused to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's a reality. Now for us who are Christians, we look, we look forward to the day of being reconciled to God, to being with Him personally, visibly. We want that day. But I'm going to be honest with you, as a Christian person, I know that day will be a day of joy and sorrow because there will be people who I know and love who have stiffened their necks who have refused to trust in Christ and they will be cast into hell and my friends that's what's going to happen to you too if you don't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ you're going to go to hell there's no ifs ands or buts about it that's what scripture says if scripture is right about anything it's right about that it's a serious matter to reject the outstretched hand of Jesus Christ, the Savior, who says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Come unto me, and I will give you rest for your soul. Jesus is beckoning you. He has sent me here today to northern Michigan to tell you on this Easter Sunday, come unto me, and I will take you. Come to me, you rotten, defiled sinner, and I will wash you and make you clean and holy and declare you righteous. In the sight of God the Father, by faith, by faith, look to Jesus and be redeemed. Well, the second prayer here is not a prayer. It's a prayer for help. Then we have a prayer for guidance. David does not know which way to turn. He doesn't know the right path to take. So he has come to this conclusion, I need God's help. And he says, I need you to show me. Show me your ways. Oh, God, teach us, lead us, because we cannot do it alone. Notice in verses 6 through 7, he asks for help. And as he makes this request, he seems to remember the sins of his past. Listen to the reading. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you are good, O Lord. He asks for God's help. He appeals to God for help, but he's worried He's worried that his sins will be counted against him. 
And this is the human, this is the human side of it. Because when you really come to know God, you really begin to understand what you deserve from God. And we don't deserve anything from God. All of God's dealings with us are based on mercy. He's always treating us better than we deserve. Now, how many of you kids ever got a Christmas present? Now, how many of you who are grown kids ever got a Christmas present? <laughs> Did you ever get a Christmas, a Christmas gift from your parents, and as you're receiving it, realize that you didn't deserve it? When I was about 16 or 15 or 16 years, I must have been 16. And I was, you know, I was, I was a 16-year-old boy. I was really feeling my oats, giving my parents, you know, giving them the business all the time. And mostly just scaring them to death. <laughs> the stuff I was doing. One day my dad, he said, he said, if you could have anything for Christmas this year, what would you want? And I said, I'd like a bolt-action Marlin 22 rifle. Amen. Because I got some people I want to take out. <laughs> so my dad, he, I was sitting there, and he didn't say anything about it. He didn't say a word about it. And so uh, on Christmas morning, we were sitting there in the house, and in, our ho- in that particular house, you, you had a couch right here and a chair in the corner, and then another couch over here, and then the TV and different stuff. And as I sat down in that chair on Christmas morning, I, I knew I hadn't really been that great of a kid. <laughs> So my expectations were kind of low. I sat down in that chair, and I looked to my left, and I could see behind the couch. And you know what I could see sticking out from the back of that couch? Just right inside the edge, I could see a brown cardboard box with those red letters, M-A-R-L-I-N, on the end of it, Marlin. And, I, and my heart started to beat a little faster. I thought, man, my, did my dad really buy it for me? Did he really give me? And I, I, I wanted to reach over there and grab it and yank it out like I was 10 years old. But I'm 16. I'm a man. You know, I got to be cool. Opened all the gifts. And my dad did not make a move for the couch. And then I got to thinking, maybe he bought that for himself. And he's hiding it from me. <laughs> but then he, we got all done. He said, son, there's one more thing to give you. One more thing. And he pulled it out. And there it was. Marlin bolt action, 22 rifle, tube fed. I killed a lot of deer with that, <laughs> a lot of rabbits. It was, a, it was a magnificent gift. I don't remember a Christmas where I really felt like I'd been treated with mercy and grace like that one in a long time. My friends, all of God's dealing with you are based in mercy. It's based in mercy. He doesn't give you what you deserve. He always gives you more than you deserve. He treats you better than you deserve. He is merciful and gracious to us. David appeals to God in humility, and he asks to be heard, not based on merits, but on the grounds of God's goodness and God's mercy. God's mercy, His loving kindness, His gentleness towards us. Now, why is God so merciful with us? It's because God loves us, and his love for us is beyond belief. It's beyond understanding. Listen to, what the, listen to the words of John the Apostle in 1 John chapter 3, verses 1 to 2.
How great is the Father's, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. That is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are the children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. God has lavished His love on us. He's rubbed it on thicker than you can imagine. He's demonstrated His love for us. And you say, well, what was that demonstration of love? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. The gift of God is Jesus Christ who went to the cross and upon Him God Almighty laid the collective guilt of all who would believe and crushed Jesus in your place so your sins could be forgiven. God's mercy is so great because His love is so big. How many of you love people in your life? How many of you wives love your husbands? Guys, you're in trouble. (laughs) How many of you husbands love your wives? How many parents love their kids? And when you love somebody, how merciful are you with them? How merciful are you? It kind of gets crazy, doesn't it? Now, I've been a pastor for a long time, and uh, when you're a pastor and you first start out, your kids are little. And when your kids are little, what do you know? You know everything. <laughs> I read all the books. My kid will never do that. <laughs> well, that well, well, I would never put up with that for my kid when your kid's little. When your kid's five years old, six years old, you can say, look, sit down and shut up, and you can make them sit down and shut up. But when they're the size of this guy right here, or this guy, or this gal, or this gal. It's a whole different animal. <laughs> They're more like their mother every day. <laughs> good. Real good. That's what I meant by that. They're good. <laughs> and I used, to watch, I used to watch parents with their kids, and I'd think, why are they putting up with that from that kid? How come they don't slap him across the mouth? How come they don't take away his car? How come, how come they're not making his life hell on earth? Why aren't they learning them better? And then I realized, you know, here I am. Middle-aged, I hope. <laughs> Got my own grown kids. And how, am I, how do I find myself? Mercy, just being more merciful than I should. And I'm sure that sometimes people look at, look at me and the way I'm with my kids and say, you know, why are you so merciful with them? It's because I love them. That's what parents do for their kids like they do, even when their kids don't deserve it because of love. The love is big. God's love for us is big. It's bigger than we can imagine. Now notice in this prayer, as David goes on, he, look, in verses 8 through 11, he comes before God and he says, Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in his ways. Those who ask for instruction, those who ask to be guided by God, will be guided by God. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. He guides those who are humble enough to turn to him. James chapter 4 verse 6 says this, God is opposed to the proud. And then chapter 4 verse 10, he says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. See, humility, 
David's awareness of his sin in his past keeps him humble. And his humility causes him to seek the Lord. And when he seeks the Lord, he finds that God will lead him and God will teach him. But notice the best part of this reading. Verse 11. For the sake of your name, O Lord, forgive my iniquity, though it is great. When you humbly come before God seeking forgiveness, what do you find? You find forgiveness. He forgives the iniquity. He forgives the sin of those who come before him asking for forgiveness. He forgives them. Now, verses 12 through 15, you can see what the humble can expect. I'm just going to go through these quickly. The humble can expect to get from God instruction. They can expect to get prosperity of soul. And this is an interesting thing. Prosperity of soul, it's a fatness of soul like John talks about in the New Testament. There's a prosperity of inner peace, of inner wealth, of inner joy that comes from being guided by God. There's knowledge of the covenant. And I think this hints at the new covenant. The covenant with, that we have with God through Christ. A covenant where all the demands have been satisfied and taken care of by Christ himself. Then you have this wonderful thing, deliverance from the enemy. My eyes are ever on the Lord, for only he will release my feet from the snare. One translation says, from the treacherousness of the enemy. God will guide you through He'll help you get through the difficult, trying times of life. He will deliver you from the enemy's guile and craft. And finally, verses 16 through 22, there's a prayer for pardon. David, as he comes before God, as he's gotten close to God, as he's sought the Lord, he's reminded of his sin. And so he once again, he says, turn to me. Be gracious to me. I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart have multiplied. Free me from my anguish. Look upon my affliction and my distress and take away all my sins. Take away all my sins. What do you want taken away most? If you could get rid of any problem you had right now, what would it be? If you could get rid of any problem, what would it be? Let's just say you have a bad illness. And God could take it away. Maybe you have financial problems. God could take it away. God could take away anything. But the thing you really need to have taken away are your sins. Because your sins, if you don't get them taken away by God through trusting in Jesus Christ, your sins are going to be around your neck for all eternity. For all eternity. The longer I've been a Christian, the the thing I've become more and more conscious of in Scripture is that the greatest thing I got in my whole life was the day when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ and all my sins were taken away forever. That's the greatest thing I got. Let me tell you something. You got money in the bank, you can lose it. You got your health, you can lose it. You got the best wife in seven counties, you can lose her. You got the best husband in the world, you can lose him. You live in the greatest country on the face of the earth, which is this one. You can lose it. You got a great church. You can lose it. Got a great pastor. You can lose him. 
Got a great job. You could lose it. Got a great house. You could lose it. Got a great fishing spot. You could lose it. You can lose everything. And some Christians do lose everything. But they can never lose the forgiveness of their sins. And in the last day, when you breathe your last breath, if you don't have forgiveness of sins, you're going to go to a place you don't want to be forever. The forgiveness of sins, take away my sins. Now, verses 19 through 20, I think what David is really talking about here, when he talks about his enemies increasing against him, I take this to be him talking about the consequences of his sins. The consequences of our sins can be so heavy that we feel crushed by the guilt, crushed by the remorse. It's just, it just, it's just on us all the time. I've made some big mistakes in my life. I've handled situations the wrong way. And that guilt, it just it sits on your back. And it just rides you to the ground. And we need God to help us. Help us as we live through the consequences of our sinful decisions. God will forgive your sins. But some of the things we've done cannot be easily undone. If they can be undone at all. If you're struggling with that, turn to the Lord. Ask Him to help you get through these things. But then there's another side of that. I wouldn't be surprised if some of you sitting here right now are thinking about doing some kind of sins. And usually we relegate this to young people, right? Always the young people. They're always, always thinking about sinning. Always thinking about doing bad stuff. There's all these temptations out there in the world to do bad things. But it's not just young people, is it? It's all of us. We're all tempted to sin. You need to think about this. The consequences of sins committed are big. And you never really know what's going to happen. I used to play basketball with this kid named Bobby. Bobby was a little guy. I was a little bit taller than him, about three inches taller. I weighed about 30 pounds more than him. I basically felt like I could take Bobby any day of the week. When I say take Bobby, you guys know what I mean? I figured I could lick him anytime. We're playing basketball, we're standing on the sideline, and Bobby's standing there beside me. He's a little guy. I'm a big guy, a little bigger than him. And so I give him an elbow. And he kind of moves over a little bit further. I scoot down by him because I'm a real good Christian. <laughs> I elbow him again. And Bobby, he says, hey, quit. And I said, what are you going to do? I gave him one more elbow. The next thing I know, that scrawny little runt was in my face, had his hands in my shirt, and man, he hit me with his forehead right in the mouth. I'm telling you about it, leave me alone. I said, cool. Terry, out. (laughs) You never know what's going to happen. You poke the wrong bear, you're going to get your head ripped off. And when you get yourself involved in sins, you never know what's going to happen. One sin usually always leads to another. don't, Don't play around with it. 
Verse 21, David says his desire is to live for God. He wants to live for God. My integrity and uprightness protect me because my hope is in you. I'm going to walk forward in the right ways. I'm going to walk in integrity and holiness because I'm trusting in you. This is my new purpose for life. I'm going to walk forward living for you. And I hope that's a decision that you'll make today. But I want you to notice, last of all, verse 22. Redeem Israel, O God, from all their troubles. Now this is striking to me because it's a very personal prayer. And then he turns to a national view. His vision is changed. Because in verses 1 through 21, he's praying for himself. But as he is bringing himself back into a right relationship with God, as he's getting his perspective of life adjusted, he sees a bigger reality. He sees that it is not just him who is in need. Now he sees his whole nation. He sees all the people of the world that they need redemption. When you become a Christian, you become interested in other people and you want other people to know the truth of the gospel. I'm sure some of you are here today because somebody invited you to come. They said, come and go to church with us today. My, my grandfather started going to church because a co-worker said, Jim, come go to church with us this week. And took my grandpa to church. My whole family's life trajectory was changed by a co-worker who just said, go to church with us. My grandpa finally went. Grandma got saved. My dad got saved. It's just a real, just a change. As David gets his heart right with God, he remembers there are more people out here who need to hear. The nation needs redemption. And my friends, we live in a world right now that needs redemption. This community needs redemption. This community needs Jesus. We need Jesus more than we need jobs, believe it or not. We need Jesus more than we need housing, believe it or not. This community needs Jesus. And if God's people don't make the good news known in our community, I don't think the devil's people are going to do it, do you? We must publish the good news. David's heart is changed and he was concerned for the nation. Friends, may we go forth today with these prayers on our lips. God help me, God guide me, and God pardon me. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach to this great congregation. I pray you bless these words to their hearts. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen.